You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and it's nice to have you back or here for the first time, whatever the case may be. I have a good one for you in this episode. Megumi Miki is a quiet professional. It's something she battled early in her life and particularly at the beginning of her professional career. But through her life, she came to understand it more and see it as the strength it is. And she's here to share her experiences with us to help us understand the power of the quiet people amongst us. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Megumi Miki. Megumi Miki, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you, David. Look, I'm really interested in this topic today, Megumi. Your, your book is lovely. It's really nice and neatly written. It's a, it's a beautiful concept, this idea of quietly powerful. I think you've tapped into something that's really important to, I don't know, half the population perhaps, and you might give me an indication through our conversation about just what kind of percentage of people might think of themselves in this category. But I'd really love to hear the story about what inspired you to write your book and and to delve into this concept of quietly powerful. How did you come to it? Sure. So a couple of reasons. So one is a personal reason. Of course, there's always a personal reasons for writing books. I'm sure. I am. Uh, I'm Japanese by background. I am definitely an introvert. I am. Uh, I've always been a quieter kid. My mum used to talk on my behalf. And uh, I used to think that was good because it's easy. I didn't have to talk. <laughs> and uh, as I was growing up, that was all fine. But as I started working, I realized that wasn't going to work for me. And I started my career in management consulting where you're supposed to look confident and know what you're doing, which was quite tough. And uh, I felt like I had to fake it a lot. And uh, in terms of the actual work, it was fine. But it's that ability to present to clients and building that confidence of the clients in me, those sort of things were a bit of a challenge. Of course, I learned to do so and I had plenty of training, but it was uh, lots of hard work. So personally, I had to do work. I'll tell you what, management consulting is a really interesting choice of occupation for someone who knew and was aware that not only were you an introvert, you were you were a quiet person. Yeah, true. But uh, I suppose I in myself, I felt that, well, I, firstly, as a university student, I didn't really know what management consulting was, so I just went into a blind. <laughs> Who does? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but secondly, having done the interviews and things, I, I figured that I could, so I thought I'd give it a shot. So that was my first reason. So the second reason, if I may share, is that it was um, more professionally. So the last 20 years or so, I've been working in leadership and culture. And as a result, I would often come across different kinds of leaders and often saw in organizations how the quieter leaders or quieter potential leaders would get overlooked. And when I have worked with some of those quieter leaders, especially the ones that are quietly powerful, which we're going to later, I thought they were the most amazing leaders. And still, they were uh, not seen as the, the strong leaders in quotation marks. And I just thought that was wrong because of the fact that they achieve amazing results, the team are empowered and they have a voice, and the fact that they can um, deliver results and it's not just all talk and no delivery, they actually deliver quality outcomes. 
And so for those people to get overlooked and not being seen as leadership potential, I thought was really wrong. So from a professional point of view, I felt like we needed to shake up that unconscious and emotional attachment to the heroic alpha male, uh, that kind of uh, leadership style. And when I say alpha male, I, I see lots of female alpha male, masculine kind of leadership too. That's a really interesting point. You talk about leaders and our traditional bias about the type of leaders that we tend to promote or the type of people we tend to promote into leadership positions. And I have scribbled down in front of me that that's one of the questions I want to sink our teeth into as this conversation evolves. But I just want to dwell on the beginning of that a little more. You talked about your money, mother talking over you, and and it leads me to wonder, is it is it nature or nurture that led you to identify as a quiet person? But you also said something else that's really interesting, and that's that idea of being an introvert. And and for those of you who've listened to the podcast over any period of time would know the idea of being an introvert or an extrovert is linked to that Jungian kind of research or that Jungian philosophy. Uh, it's not so much about your social skills or lack thereof. It's about where you draw your energy. And an introvert draws their energy from being alone and, and having quiet reflection time doesn't mean they can't do all sorts of extroversion things. It just means that it's costing them energy and they need to go away by themselves and recharge. The extrovert is the complete opposite. They lose energy by being by themselves. They can do it, but it costs them energy and they're recharged, unbelievably to me, by being around other people and being with groups of people. That leads me to this question, Megumi. I identify very clearly as an introvert in the Jungian sense. I, I know where I get my energy. I know I need that time by myself to recharge my batteries, but I don't consider myself a quiet person in any way. That's that's not something that I would relate to. So tell us about the relationship between introversion and extroversion and quiet or non-quiet. So um, it's interesting you say that because I've had some extroverts say that I feel I'm quiet in the workplace. So I think the opposite is true as well. And so I got thinking when I had some of that feedback in my earlier days when I used to do all these public talks and I used to get all these comments from people and I thought, wow, it's not just about introversion, which has been written about a lot, as you probably know, Susan Cain wrote the book about quiet and uh, power of introverts. There's lots of other authors who've written about introversion, but I started to realize that it's not just about introversion. So introverts can demonstrate different behaviors but also the reason why people may remain quiet could be to do with their agreeable nature. So that's another uh, personality characteristic that can come out. The other thing is some people who could be highly extroverted, but highly sensitive. I don't know whether you've heard of the highly sensitive person. Um, so they can get totally overwhelmed by too much interaction and too much stimulus. And so they can go quiet as a result. But then also there's cultural conditioning, as you can imagine, having a Japanese background there's a number of different cultural conditioning that comes into play. There's also my upbringing, the fact that my sister was always the noisier one, my mum was always the one that chatted a lot. And so, you know, you talked about nature versus nurture. I think it's a combination. And so there's that. And, and I often uh, talk about my cultural conditioning and then people spoke up and said, well, actually, it's not just cultural conditioning. It's also like how you're brought up in the family or even religion. So somebody said, well, I, brought, I was brought up as a Catholic, so I wasn't supposed to speak up so much. And so there were, there's lots of reasons. There's also power dynamics. If you're the minority in a group, 
So, for instance, if you're the only woman in the group, or particularly if you're culturally diverse women in the group, it's oftentimes, like myself, oftentimes you're the only one, it's harder to speak up just because you're very different. So, as you say, it's not one factor, introversion or extroversion or any of those things, but it sounds like you had a whole bunch of things that that sort of the confluence of which had added up to you, had to be a quiet person. You talk about being a minority in, in, in Australia, the only Japanese woman in the room most of the time. You had a mother who talked for you. You're an introvert by nature and all of these other things kind of stacked up towards you being a, a quiet person. But I, don't, I get the sense from talking to you and by reading your book that you in no way, in fact, the opposite, you in no way see it as a, as a weakness or a downside. It's something that you, you're very proud of, you're very comfortable with, you understand deeply and you've embraced it as part of your life. I have now. It's taken me 20 years. <laughs> was that a journey, was it? <laughs> well, it's taken me 20 years, <laughs> just 20 years. Was there a time where you hated the fact that you were a quiet person? Oh, Totally. Maybe hated is a strong word. I, I did like being, word. yeah, I did like being on my own. And at times, I thought that was a strong point in that when I had to do things on my own, I was quite comfortable to do so. So that independence and that ability to stay on my, by myself and do things by myself was probably a useful thing in many occasions. But when I didn't like it was when I felt so exhausted going out all the time, and I felt like. There was something wrong with me. I was so exhausted. And, you know, going back to my management consulting days, there was like a whole graduate group and we got on very well and we'd work really hard, very long hours. Plus, we'd go out on a Friday night and go for long, long hours as well. And I was so exhausted. Can't play hard. Totally. And, uh, and I thought there was something wrong with me because people would say, oh, you know, let's go out on a Saturday again. I go, I don't no, really feel like it. I don't feel like it. And I felt somewhat embarrassed to say, I don't feel like it. And so there were moments like that. I'm going to ask you a question now that's hopefully going to help listeners who relate to what you're saying identify themselves in some of the adjectives. But I just want to explain before I get to that, there is this massive late summer Brisbane storm rolling through at the moment. So if you hear thunder in the background. That's what it is. I actually sent my wife a message to tell her to be quiet with the doors. I thought she was opening the doors downstairs really loudly, but now to my embarrassment, I realize it's actually a storm rolling through, which I love. And uh, and if you have ever spent much time in Brisbane, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. All right, Megumi, you talked in your book about an activity, a really basic activity you do when you run workshops and have talks where you ask people to talk about the kind of thoughts or adjectives that jump into their head when you ask them to think about someone who's a bit quiet. What have you learned from doing that activity with groups of people? So when I ask them, initially I would often get the answers of mild and meek and reserved and not very confident and shy and all those things that people would often think about, which is not a helpful view of somebody who's quiet. But then sometimes people would say, oh, they're thoughtful, they're considered, they're deep thinkers. And, and so pe other people will come up with those. It depends on the audience, actually. So if it's, if it's a professional group of people who seem to value more of those qualities, they do come up with those words. But it, uh, what I found is students don't come up with those words. They tend to have a little bit more of a, a, negative, a negative spin view. on what it means yes. to be a bit quiet. Yes. That is interesting. What, what, what do you make of that? 
I wonder, it's just um, for me personally as well, the maturity. So when you're younger, you have this typical view, yeah, typical view of somebody who's gregarious and funny and entertaining as being the popular, you know, one that gets gets on with everybody and, uh, you know, the person to be the one with the gift of the gab. While as I think as you get older, and certainly for me, as I got older, I, I appreciated the finer qualities of quieter people. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. Now, I, I, describe for me in what you've learned, you know, through your own experience and all the work that you've done, all the conversations that you had with people who identify as being a bit quiet. What's the typical professional experience for someone who who's in that category and knows they're in that category and relates to all of the descriptions that you've given us? So I think the common experiences would include being spoken over or you say something and you get interrupted and so you don't get to finish what you want to say. Or one of the most difficult ones is you can't get in. So there's so many noisy people who are wanting to show what they know, what they're trying to get in all the time. And if there's so many of them, as a quieter person, typically what I find is that I don't like to interrupt. I think it's a rude thing to do. So I stop myself from interrupting, but then there's no gap to jump in. So I've I've had to learn to be, in my mind, a little bit rude, but then interrupt and, and get in. Otherwise, there's no way I'll be able to contribute what I want to contribute. The other thing is being overlooked and people making assumptions about what a quieter person can and can't do. And I've actually made that assumption as well. I work with somebody who was very quiet and was introverted. I knew that because we did some personality profiling with these people. He was a fairly senior leader. And uh, we were going to work together and run a workshop together. And uh, we were going to facilitate a very large group of about 120 or something. And because I've facilitated for a long time, I was quite comfortable to do so. But I didn't know about this other person and knowing how quiet and he spoke very slowly and I thought, oh, how, he's, how is he going How's to go, going go? Facilit- facilitating 120 people? And so I was, I had the same bias as other people would of me. I was about to point that out. Yeah. And when he stood up, he was incredible. He yeah, was put funny. on a show. He, oh, it's, it wasn't just a show, actually. It was, he was still his natural self, but he has a really, he had a really quirky sense of humor. He engaged the group straight away. He spoke slowly such that people can understand. It was just fantastic to watch. And so we had a great time. So I think that being uh, making assumptions about what a quieter person can or can't do is a dangerous one for organisations and for the people who have been subject to that. And there's an obvious link there to that, the, the idea of being ignored and, and fading into the background as a quiet person. I'm going to ask you in a minute about the traditional bias we have for non-quiet leaders. But before we do that, you, we just you reminded me then of a story you told in your book. Uh, you were management consultant beginning to do presentations and you you had a what seemed to be a domineering kind of experienced facilitator working with you who made you practice in front of the group as they were coming in and taking their seats for the morning and then as you explain things through the session 
in your own way, as you were growing comfortable with your own style of delivery, they would sort of jump up out of their seat and explain things in their words for the for the audience as if the way you had done it wasn't good enough and, and didn't cut the mustard. They had to kind of step in and, and provide their experience. How do you look back on memories like that now? And were, were they a learning experience for you or do you still kind of feel as though you were being discriminated against? And do you think anything has changed in the professional setting? I still look at it as both a learning experience. In fact, I, I see it as something that I will not do to other people who are learning the craft of facilitation. It's cool, um, isn't it? So good, mm, so good learning experience in that sense. But also, I don't know how much it's changed. I think it depends on the person. But some people are very good at helping other people grow and, and they don't interrupt and they don't kind of take over because that doesn't actually help their learning. So I think some people are great at it, other people still don't get it. So what about the tradition bias we have for non-quiet leaders? You know, it's probably stating the obvious to a certain extent, but tell us about the bias that organizations and individuals have for people who tend to not be quiet individuals and and what what can we what summarizes that? How do we sort of clump that together to understand it well? So I think, hmm, how do I clump it together to understand it? Well, that's a tricky, uh, tricky question. This is not an easy ride, Nagumi. I'm making you work for it. No, no, you're working. Yeah, you're making me work hard. So I think the way I think about it is traditionally people get drawn to people who are very outspoken, articulate, and they are visible, if you like. So you notice them, people who speak a lot and people who can be loud or dominant, you notice them a lot more. And I think sometimes people see that as charisma and that can lead to people feeling like, um, you know, they're drawn to that, that sort of what seems to be confidence, if you like, because we, we draw, you know, somebody who speaks well or outspoken and, and so on to be confident while as we see somebody who doesn't say a lot to be not so confident. Yeah. So we get drawn to that perceived confidence, and so that will be one. Hang on, before you move on that, is that true? Can you be quiet yeah. <laughs> and confident? I mean, I know that's the title of your book. You say that perceived people who, mm-hmm. who don't speak up in a professional setting and don't contribute in that outspoken, extroverted, confident way, is it possible that they're sitting there feeling that confidence? but they just don't embody it. They don't show it to other people. Totally can be quiet and confident and they're the people that I interviewed. And what's different between somebody who's quiet and not so confident versus somebody who's quiet and confident is that you can feel their comfortable presence. So I talk a lot about the quietly powerful leaders who sit there, they don't say anything, but you can just sense that they're comfortable in their own skins and that is a very powerful presence to be around. I'm sure you've had those moments where you've met somebody and you just feel their presence. And it's not that they've said anything, but you just know that they're very present. So that to me is very quietly powerful. Great. So, sorry, sorry yeah, I cut um, you off. Can, yeah. can you go, go on with your next point. I, I was just fascinated with that kind of concept what? about the, the quietly confident. <laughs> So what were we talking about? We're talking about the, the bias that we have currently for, you know, the traditional yes. bias for, for leaders. That's right. And uh, I was about to talk about the awestruck effect, right. which uh, there's been some research around by psychologists where what's scary 
is that when we are in the presence of somebody who is perceivedly charismatic, and you know, there's different definitions of charismatic, but often people who are loud and quite outspoken are seen as charismatic in some ways. The problem with that is that the people who are with them become awestruck such that their rational mind gets switched off. Really? So <laughs> they just get they just become in awe. And I'm sure we've had experiences, whether it's um, a loud leader or somebody who is perceivedly uh, charismatic. It could be a celebrity or it could be a CEO who walks into a room just because of their position. People just don't think so clearly and they just think that what they're saying is amazing. Yeah, they just think what they're saying is amazing and we don't even challenge to think, what well, does that, is that actually making sense? And um, sometimes you, you laugh because sometimes somebody will be saying something in a very confident manner and with lots of conviction, but if you actually write it, you know, yeah. they haven't said much. Yeah, it, you know that concept of manner and matter, the, the manner is the way we do things and the mm. matter is the content. If someone's mm. manner is so powerful, so charismatic, we can kind of let them off the hook in terms of the matter. We don't challenge it. We don't think it through because we're, as you say, that 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 word awestruck is is perfect. We're stars in our eyes. We're just in love with this moment, listening and watching this person do their thing. We don't ponder the content. That's great. Good point. I, uh, I've never thought about it exactly. that way. Exactly. It's scary. It's very scary. Mm, yeah. Scary in organizations because people stop challenging. Scary in society, as you probably can think of a few examples, yeah where people just go gaga and don't really think what they're listening to or they're thinking. Yeah, yeah, it is scary. All right, well, now tell us, sell to us the concept of quiet leaders. What have they got to offer that is different, that is worth us taking the time to notice these people who might otherwise, as I say, kind of blend into the background a little bit too much? What is it that they can offer an organization or a team or, or any group of people in terms of leadership? So I might sell the quietly powerful leaders, not so much the quiet leaders, because I think quiet leaders can just blend into the background or not add as much value as a, a quietly powerful leader could. Happy to talk about the distinction there. But the quietly powerful leaders, what they bring is the incredible ability to create space for other people to shine. And so because they don't dominate, because they don't they don't have the or they have the humility to enable other people to contribute, listen to them, understand what they're saying, inquire into what they're saying, so that you tap into the collective wisdom. So that's a very powerful thing. And their ability to listen, be present, and challenge their own thinking because they have the humility to do so is very useful in the context of where you need some innovation or where you need some psychological safety for people to speak up when they need to. Like we, we've got all these issues in um, in the financial services sector and many other sectors where we've had all these issues about problems that people knew about but never rose to the senior levels. While as quietly powerful leaders will typically build up good, good enough and trusting relationships and a safe environment and space for people to raise those issues. And I think that's becoming more and more important. And on top of that, of course, um, innovation and uh, change and a disruptive environment where one person can never know all the answers, you really do need to tap into the collective wisdom. So that is a huge value to organizations. So to me, they're, they're the key ones. There's plenty more other things that they do, like building relationships and that ability to coach 
because of their listening, because of their care for the other person. Not to say that the not-so-quiet people can't do that. I know lots of people who do that really well too. But I think quietly powerful leaders have that ability to tap into that quieter side and use that for good. The only other thing I would add about quietly powerful leaders that I I really love is that a lot of them don't like being the centre of attention and that's why they could blend into the background. They don't they're not in your face. They're not always saying, look at me and sort of showing off what they're doing. But because of that, oftentimes they don't go into leadership positions because they want to be seen or they want to have power or have control over other people. They often go into leadership positions because they see that they can contribute to something bigger than themselves. So they're very purposeful and intentional in stepping into leadership. And I think that's really powerful. And I think we need more leaders like that people who are thinking about the greater good, the something that they can contribute to the bigger picture rather than serving themselves. I tell you what, Megumi, you've done a fantastic job of selling the attributes of the quietly powerful leader. You make it sound like we should all be hunting these for our, our ne- the next person that we employ in our organization because they're beautiful qualities to have. And as, they, as you say, it gives the organization and the team the opportunity to let so many more people shine, to let everyone shine, to build the kind of networks and relationships that you need because we have someone who doesn't need to be the center of attention, someone who is able to listen and to care and build trust and a trusting space. I love it. I'm sold by it. And I love the way earlier in our conversation we described or you described what it means to be quietly powerful. And I'm sure people were listening and relating to what you had to say about those attributes and the adjectives that can describe them. So let's hit us with the good stuff now. Let's let's finish this off with you giving your golden wisdom, the advice that you've developed over the years, all the thinking that you've done to people who relate to this concept of quiet, professional, quietly powerful. What's your top three or five or whatever it might be tips for helping them to maximize their career potential? So I think this is where I can describe the distinction between being quiet and quietly powerful. So if you're just simply being quiet and actually haven't developed yourself to become quietly powerful, you may be disadvantaged in your career. You may hit a wall and or or ceiling. While as so my tips for people who are feeling quietly disempowered, if you like, are threefold. So firstly, get really comfortable with yourself. So including your quietness and including some of the weaknesses that you think you have and your the strengths that you have, learn about them, investigate them, but also not make yourself wrong for having those qualities. And as I mentioned, the nature of quiet can be unhelpful, but it can also be very helpful. So see the useful side of all the qualities that you have. I say to people, if you reframe your weaknesses, they can become your greatest assets. So if you can get comfortable with yourself, you can really tap into the authentic style and authentic, the unique talents that you have and and you use that as as your contribution. So that's number one. So get comfortable. The second thing is um, learn to be present. So be mindful, learn all about, if you can do some meditation, mindfulness type of work, so that you can learn to be present because you don't have to, as we said before, you don't have to be the one talking all the time if you can be very present and people can feel your presence. 
It's a very powerful thing yeah. for somebody to not speak and people feeling your presence. So if you can develop that, that would be amazing. That kind of piggybacks onto the, the concept of emphasizing our strengths because it, it feels as though that's part of the message you've been giving tonight is that quiet mm-hmm. people tend towards that anyway. People who identify as being quiet, who, are, who probably are introverted, they have a greater ability to tap into an individual and and to be present in a moment. So what you're kind of saying there is is pay attention to that and emphasize what is probably already a, a natural tendency or a natural strength for you and bring it out as a real presence. The only problem though sometimes is that because of the conditioning socially, people feeling like being quiet is a bad thing or a not helpful thing, we start to get these inner critics in our heads and so the inner critics in our heads was, oh, I need to speak, I need to speak up, I need to, I need to be able to make people laugh, I need to be interesting. Those sort of comments in our heads, our inner critics, can get in the way of us being present. And one of my um, least favorite feedbacks that people receive when they're quiet is be more confident. Because as soon as you get told be, well, if you get told to be more confident, you probably don't, but I have. When you get told to be more confident, I think, oh my God, so I don't come across as confident. So I mustn't be confident. So I need to think about how I'm going to look confident. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. it just actually, That's the message, isn't it? Oh, it's, yeah. And therefore I feel less confident as a result. So it's a downward spiral. So, mm-hmm. so that's not helpful. Anyway, so once we can get comfortable with ourselves, we can be more present. And once you can manage some of those inner critics and inner voices that get in the way of us being present, you can be much more powerfully present. The third tip that I have for people to become more quietly powerful is the point that we talked about how quietly powerful leaders are very purposeful. So they're not there to lead because they want the power or the attention. They lead because of a bigger purpose. And so if you can find, as a quieter person, find something that's meaningful, that you can be passionate about, something that you can you can see a contribution you can make, then one, that will help you to lead in a very authentic way. But secondly, it allows you, it gives you more energy to adapt where you need to. So oftentimes, uh, or not oftentimes, some of the quietly powerful leaders I interviewed, they said they're naturally quiet and they, they hated public speaking when they first stepped into a leadership role, but they did because they felt that they needed to in the role that they were playing. But because they had that sense of purpose, they realized that they could and they, they would put energy into developing that skill. So it really helps with adapting to adapt purposefully in that sense. So um, yeah, having that sort of sense of mission or sense of purpose is very helpful. They are three really fabulous pieces of wisdom, Megumi. I'm just going to give us a quick summary of those. Number one was to start by growing comfortable with yourself. Become comfortable with yourself your strengths and your weaknesses. Be aware of what they are. Embrace the fact that you're quiet. It's a useful part of you and it's and it's it's much more useful if you're comfortable with that and you've embraced it. Number two was to learn to be present, to be mindful. And that's where we talked about really emphasizing what is probably a natural tendency for quiet people is to have those relationships and, and be able to to tap into the people around them. If you can emphasize that as a strength, you're in a really fabulous position. And then thirdly, be purposeful. Find something that matters for you. Lead for a bigger purpose, not just power, not just the ability to boss people or a spot on the organizational hierarchy, but because you really believe in what it is that you're doing. 
How did I go there, Megumi? Is that a decent summary of the, your, your three big takeaways? Yep, definitely. No, that's a very good summary. Thank you. Fantastic, Megumi. I'll tell you what, I really love the topic. I think that the way that you speak about it and write about it and the, the kind of ideas you shared with us tonight will really relate to such a huge part of the audience. What is the kind of audience that, that we're dealing with here? What percentage of people in our offices, our colleagues, our friends would relate to being a quiet person? It's an interesting question because you said yourself that you're an introvert in terms of where you get your energy, but you don't see yourself as quiet. And so, you know, it's hard to put a number out around it. But in terms of introvert, extrovert, uh, Susan Cain, who wrote Quiet, would talk about about 30 to 50% of the population will be introvert. So let's say, be conservative, take 30%. But then add to that what I said earlier about people who have other personality traits that causes them to be quieter, being agreeable, sensitive, et cetera. On top of that, people with a cultural background that causes them to be quieter. So a lot of Asian cultures, it's a bit of a stereotype, but I think there's also definitely conditioning. Often people with an Asian background wouldn't speak up when there's somebody senior in a, in a group because of they don't want to um, people to lose face, especially if there's authority in the room. So there's all sorts of conditioning like that. So you add that onto the mix. And then you've got uh, the power dynamics as well. So depending on the situation, it could be like 80 or 90% of the group that don't feel like they can speak up. So it would be a whole range of reasons. So I would love for the quieter people to read it, but I would also love for the not so quiet people to read it too. (laughs) Beautiful message, Megumi. I'm so pleased you came on the podcast and shared it with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. And that was Megumi Miki. I loved our chat, the way she's able to speak so clearly about the strengths of the quiet professionals who are all around us. And she helps each of us ensure that we don't let that potential remain untapped. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Megumi on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website, that's teams with an S dot guru slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.